Housing. Who needs it? Well, it turns out pretty much everyone. Uh, that's an easy question, but we're going to get into some more complicated questions um, on another episode of the Commonwealth Magazine podcast. Uh, I have with me Eric Schupin, the Policy Director of Citizens Housing and Planning Association, Chris Norris, who's the Executive Director of Metro Housing Boston, and Boston City Councilor Lydia Edwards. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Um, so first off, uh, tell us about tell us about the um, the housing situation both in Metro Boston and around the state. What, what's happening? I think. Let me start with a story. Um, Michael, someone we work with at Metro Housing, had a job, lived in a second floor apartment in Cambridge, uh, walk up, suffered a stroke um, that left his left side severely impaired, and ended up confined to a wheelchair. Michael needed an affordable place to live that was accessible. Um, Lori was a victim of domestic violence, um, moved into a shelter with her children. Um, when she divorced, lost the income from her ex-spouse and ended up homeless and in a shelter. Lori needed housing. There's uh, um, 275,000 households, according to the Federal Reserve Bank, nearly a third of the renter population in Massachusetts that has extremely low incomes, less than $32,000 for a family of three in Boston, all who need housing. Does, is that is that what uh, both of you experience as well? Yeah, I, I, what I'm finding is that, yes, um, not just folks who are suffering from either immediate crisis financially or who are maybe working class or d need deeply affordable units, we're finding, I think, a creep in the crisis to middle class and some even some upper middle class families are finding ownership not within their reach, finding that it's harder and harder to find even rents that they can afford for beyond a studio or a one-bedroom apartment that's a luxury downtown. They're looking even for family housing, and they're finding that they can't find it or afford it. And I'd say statewide that rings true. Uh, rents have increased by 75% since 2000, while Boston's inner core have seen rents uh, more than that. They've doubled uh, since 2000. Nearly half of all renter households, many of the residents in the communities um, across Massachusetts are paying more than 30% of their income on rent. And our single family home prices, which were at the national average in 1980, have increased faster than any other state in the country. So this is uh, an issue that we're facing statewide. And so if this is a big issue affecting a lot of people and uh, costing people a lot of money as a percentage of their salary, uh, why hasn't there been a ton of action on this at the public policy level? I think you haven't seen it at the policy level for extremely low-income households because poor people vote at lower rates than um, people who are wealthy. And the folks that elect our elected officials um, end up with policies that favor them rather than those who don't vote. On a um, probably more nuanced level, I think it's about control in terms of zoning writ large when you have 351 cities and towns across the Commonwealth each making their own zoning decisions and not wanting to give up that control, whereas in many parts of the country we do it on a um, larger level, county level, or other broader decision-making. But, but the, if I could just interject, because the Massachusetts leg legislature, they have done a lot of things to help poor people or lower income people raising the minimum wage uh, in 2006, the first in the nation, uh, you know, the prede predecessor to Obamacare and uh, the criminal justice reform bill did a lot to help people who don't have a lot of means. So is it just that? It seems like 
there's got to be more, but I cut you off, Counselor. No, I think that, that there is, I actually think it is part of that, that when it comes to issues that do impact poor people, you will find that the prioritization is, is despite many of the great groundbreaking things we've done, they're usually, um, their voice is usually less um, heard or echoed in the halls of any city hall or at the state house. But I also think there's something acutely different about this moment in the housing crisis that people are, are finally starting to realize they don't see a way out of it. Um, they're, 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 I think there has been traditionally this understanding that the market will somehow correct, the rents will come back down, uh, you know, the recession, it, it kind of depressed the rents and again, and there's some sort of cyclical, cyclical understanding about the housing market that it will be okay eventually in housing. Um, but I don't think f- folks are feeling that way anymore. They're feeling it's actually the rents are still going up despite all the building that we're doing, despite all the policies that we have. Um, I think it's impacting a lot of traditional homes that have actually a lot of uh, my uh, some of my constituents who've been against rent control, who've been against, um, you know, who want a gentrification, who want all these things. And now they're in a situation they're saying, my kids will never be able to live in the Boston that I know. They'll never be able to live here, uh, not because I'm, I can't afford or that I'm in a deeply affordable unit or I'm on Section 8. It's because literally this, whatever's being developed isn't for us. So that I think that there's a different understanding about what housing is. And I don't think people see their way out of it anymore. They are uh, demanding that the government do something now in a way that they haven't before. And I would say that there is, there has been legislation. Um, some legislation just hasn't passed. Um, we've we've taken <laughs> this on. CHAPA has been working on, on these issues for a long time. And there are results to show for it in Massachusetts that we can be proud of. We do have Chapter 40B, our state's affordable housing law, that was passed 50 years ago. We have Chapter 40T, which was passed 10 years ago, that goes to preserving affordable housing. And last year, we passed a $1.8 billion affordable housing bond bill, the largest in the state history, to provide resources to uh, create more affordable housing. It's just not enough. We need to do more. Um, and that's what we're working on this session, um, whether it comes to zoning reform, uh, providing new resources for programs like the Massachusetts Rental Voucher Program, rental assistance, investing more in our public housing, making sure that we preserve and hopefully expand access to public housing. All of these things that uh, Massachusetts has invested in, we can be proud of, but we need to do more of as well. And the one area of most attention, as crazy as it sounds, is zoning reform. It seems that this is where the governor is sort of uh, pushing things and wanting to make a slight change that he says, and a lot of other people say, will have profound impact in cities and towns around the state. And And that would just be to lower the threshold for doing things like building a multi-unit building. Why do you think there is such consensus around the governor's housing choices bill? I'd just start by framing the the challenge, um, why legislation like zoning reform right now is so important. It's because we don't do a very good job of building housing in Massachusetts. Uh, For the last 30 years, we've been producing half the number of homes that we did in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, so we have a housing shortage. And what that's going to do is drive costs up. 200 cities and towns have gone for a decade or longer without permitting any multifamily housing. Most of the housing that's been built has been built in Boston, in Cambridge, in Somerville. 
And the responsibility to meet our housing needs in Massachusetts cannot fall on those communities alone. And so by changing zoning, changing the rules by which we decide what gets built and where, it can have an impact on helping meet our housing needs. So um, that's why I think there is support for this legislation, because there's a recognition that we need to help communities who want to build housing to do so and to break down those local barriers like a two-thirds majority. Now, is it the only step? Absolutely not. But it's an important first step to um, trying to help meet our housing need. I agree with Eric. Uh, I think that's what you're hearing from folks. It's not necessarily that they oppose a bill to reform zoning, but rather what else can you do as part of that to ensure that everyone benefits from it. Um, And not to have the legislature oversold on things. Eric mentioned Chapter 40R, the um, smart growth zoning, back when it passed in 2004. I think he mentioned some other 40s, but... Uh, <laughs> that, that's but about, folks, on, as part of the zoning, folks were promised or... Um, anticipated 33,000 new units of housing being built over 10 years. In reality, in the last 14 years, fewer than 4,000 have been built, and half of those were already in the pipeline when the legislation passed. Mm-hmm. And, Councillor, you know about building <clears throat> consensus. Uh, the city council is Boston's legislative body. Do, do you have an opinion on, on, on why there is such consensus around the governor's bill? Well, I would say that uh, I came and testified against the governor's bill. Um, because uh, there is consensus around zoning reform, absolutely. But I think he is, his bill is um, part of that tool, but it doesn't actually complete the full picture. I don't think in his uh, his bill that he use the word affordable housing, he doesn't seem to really be thinking beyond just changing. I think actually his testimony was the biggest issue or what is causing the housing crisis is this two-thirds requirement for zoning. That that's, that's the number one issue that's causing the housing crisis. I disagree, and I think most people do as well. I think that we do need zoning reform, and I completely agree. You know, my district specifically is expected to get, just in my little district of Charleston, East Boston, and the North End, 10,000 new units of housing. And so of the brunt of Boston's new housing, we're going to get a majority of it in my district. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, yes, we need a greater regional approach to it, and zoning reform is necessary. But in the governor's bill, for example, he's trying to eliminate the two-thirds majority for changing zoning generally, but not for actually uh, creating or um, uh, approving affordable housing. That two-thirds stays for that. So you have suburbs. Is that the the local policies where people can yep. say you need to build 20% affordable yes. for a, yes. so, so there's still... That would still under- require the two-thirds. Okay. And okay. so that's a problem for me in terms of if you're trying to build, you need to build for all. And it, I think it takes also the top-down trickle, trickle-down economic understanding. If we keep building tons and tons of units, that somehow at some point they'll become more affordable. So I've, I've been very critical. I don't believe we can build our way out of the housing crisis. I think we need actual planning and building in the segmented market that housing is if you want more affordable units you need to build more affordable units um, so I support actually a combination of the governor's bill but also one that that, that does zoning reform but also really goes to the crux of, of smart planning that's uh, 1288 that's from uh, Senator Boncori and Representative uh, Vargas and um, Representative Honan, which I think does exactly what the governor does, but then finishes the sentence and assures that there's actual affordable units being built in, you know, family housing around T-stops, making sure that we're actually reporting on how we're building, looking at the needs. And I think that that's actually a comprehensive bill that does what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. 
That's right. It has pieces that um, the governor definitely left out of his, um, like setting goals mm -hmm. and actually measuring what gets built, where it gets built, and who it serves, and requiring that every community have an area for multifamily housing. Mm -hmm. um, fewer than half of the communities in the state built any multifamily housing in the last decade, and that should be unacceptable. I would say just in, in the context of those two pieces of legislation, uh, both the governor's and uh, 12, H-1288 um, that the counselor spoke about, that's a chapter priority as well. And um, just looking to the housing choice legislation that the governor did propose, I would add that there is um, a, a provision that was added by the housing committee that would actually make it easier to zone for affordable housing um, around public transportation. So there are pieces that go towards affordable housing. Now, is it enough? I would say, no, we absolutely need to do more. Um, and that's why it's so important that all of these issues are, are worked on and all these pieces of legislation are considered so that the legislature and we can help move forward the strongest possible bill when it comes to um, solving our affordable housing crisis. So looking beyond what the governor has proposed, and, and you've both uh, I think all three of you have touched on it, this bill proposed by Rep Vargas and Chairman Honan. Uh, tell me more about what that does and specifically where it has the state sort of coming in and saying, you need to do X, Y, Z. I think that there's some provisions around MBTA stations, but if you could spell out the particulars, that'd be great. Sure. So H-1288 uh, incorporates the governor's housing choice legislation and lowering that supermajority to a simple majority for certain pro-housing zoning matters, like creating multifamily housing, creating accessory dwelling unit districts, lowering parking ratios even, um, that would go towards creating housing. But uh, the governor's bill doesn't require any community to, to do anything. H-1288 H contains uh, provisions that would require cities that are served by the MBTA, so about 175 different communities, to zone, allow multifamily zoning around public transportation that's in their communities. Um, so smart growth zoning in the communities that, quite frankly, that's where the housing demand is. And also there's a capacity, the infrastructure, to handle that increased um, development. It also sets, sets not only production goals, so overall production goals, but also affordable housing production goals, because we need, as Chris said, to measure towards what we're building. What is it that we're creating and who is it affordable to? Um, both affordable to uh, low and moderate income, but also extremely low income households. We need to think about the housing that we're building for our lowest income families. And then finally, it also helps to streamline the, the um, creating the creation of, of housing by reforming some of butter appeals, by making it easier for um, housing developments to move forward without being tied up in court by someone who just says, I don't want this development, so I'm going to uh, sue you until it's no longer feasible for you to build this. Um, so those are the kind of reforms that it takes. For all the cities except for Boston. Nope. <laughs> Wait, we didn't that. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. That's what does a, that, that mean? That means we're not one of the cities that gets this two-thirds majority because uh, we have our own, I guess, zoning process and we go through the BPDA and all this other thing. So so that, um, so luckily Drakeit will be able to have more power than the, the city of Boston and being able to upzone or de-zone and whatnot. That's 
So no offense that, to Drake it. Is that a criticism of, of that bill that you have? Or um, you well, like I will say we have some other bills from the city of Boston trying to give our give us a little bit more autonomy on our linkage and trying to that that's the 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 fee that's paid for commercial development per square foot. There's a certain like ten dollars I think that goes to housing and job creation. So we're trying to piecemeal back some sort of autonomy and control. And would that be controlled by the city council? Um, I, in the version that I have, yes. Uh-huh. And the mayor's version, no. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and what are those bills? Or what's uh, the one that you support? The, the one that, so as, in general, we both, uh, the mayor and I support more autonomy for the city of Boston being able to change its linkage, which is the per square footage amount uh, paid into the housing trust or into the jobs trust for um, commercial building. So if you're not going to build housing, you're going to pay this certain fee. And that money is used to help then buy for affordable housing in another place. So, um, but we have to go to the state every time we want to increase it beyond, I think, an, an 8% um, that we get automatically if we choose to elect to do that. And so we would like a little bit more autonomy to allow us the freedom to do that and increase it just within our zoning commission. And so that's the mayor's version. And then he would propose whatever he wants up, down, all around. And my version uh, proposes that same autonomy, except I want a baseline using the linkage linkage nexus report of $24 per square foot. And I think that would actually be in keeping with what the uh, consumer price index or what the report says is actually what we should be charging. And then also it would be um, allowing the city council to have a voice in that as well and so that the city council or and or the mayor could propose those changes interesting Mm -hmm. so we've talked about the needs of poor people who don't have enough housing right now and but i'd like to also ask about the concerns you might call them of not so poor people not with any particular bill but if you're going to increase the supply of housing then i'd think that those who bought in to a constricted housing market might be worried that their investment in their home, which for many people is the biggest investment they make, is going to lose value. If housing prices drop, helping lots of people than those people who bought in when prices were high, would they lose value? I'm not an economist, but I don't think so. I think um, to believe that even if uh, the entire 135,000 units were produced, um, that would impact the market significantly is um, perhaps naive. Um, It's going to be spread across the state, um, so it's not in any one place. And then secondly, I think the bigger danger in value is if people can't afford to live here, work here, or stay here. That's what's going to drive costs down. Um, So this is a small step in the right direction in terms of addressing zoning and looking at other production methods. I would also add, I think uh, traditionally people have seen housing as a long-term investment, you know, over 30 or 40 years. And so if you're investing now, which we're seeing speculating in housing and seeing your returns come back two, 300% after five years because you just bought really well, yeah, you're likely not to see those kinds of returns in housing and that market going back to what it's traditionally been and how in many cases people have been able to transfer that kind of wealth over long wealth over long term over generations that's what housing has traditionally been 
what we're seeing is an inflation of that value and people buying in like it's the new stock market in order to get a return that is just unheard of, even in Wall Street, on housing that they're not occupying or even sometimes renting out. So if there, if that's your goal is to make that kind of return on your investment, yes, building a lot more units might actually hurt that, might. And I say that depends on where you're buying. of course, if we just pass a transfer fee, then we can also pull some of that income out, and we'd be very happy with that and use that for affordable housing. So I'll just tug that. And I would just add, all of these efforts that are out there right now, everything that we're doing is because the status quo is not working. Um, if we keep things as they are, we're all going to lose. Um, workers are going to lose because they're not going to be able to afford to stay here. Um, businesses are going to lose because they won't have the workers to that they can employ. Um, and certainly our lowest income families will be hurt the most because these skyrocketing housing costs will um, put them further and further out of reach for them. And we'll see what we have been seeing, which is increases in homelessness. Um, so again, the status quo is not working. And then the other point I would make is just um, challenging the assumption that affordable housing means that there will somehow be a decrease, that it will have a negative impact on my community, um, whether that's my individual community or statewide. Providing affordable homes to people should be fundamental to everything that we do exactly. um, because it is so important. So um, building affordable housing shouldn't threaten s- someone else's property values. It should be about um, empowering our communities to make sure that it serves everyone. And if I might add, what really I think also destroys a lot of property values is concentrations of poverty. So what you're finding is when people can't afford uh, Boston, they're moving to Brockton and larger levels than the infrastructure in terms of schools, in terms of social network, in terms of uh, social programs can absorb in Brockton or other communities because they're getting a, a huge amount of folks who need those things. So the what we do need is to stop the, the concentration of poverty, and that only happens when people are displaced in mass and moving to certain cities and towns. So I actually think building for more affordable towards the middle will actually help to stabilize that. Great. And I, I'd like for everyone to kind of go around and talk about any places or people or organizations, but maybe mostly places that are really doing housing right and it doesn't need to be in massachusetts you probably that's where you're most familiar but um but just looking around who can you hold up and say wow this is this is a model that we should follow i have to i'll go first i have two Uh, one would be the city of boston because the mayor in his Boston 2030 report actually put out goals. You can agree or disagree with the policy, but at least he put something out there. He put funds to back it up and is moving forward on it and examining it and readjusting as it moves forward. I think more broadly, I would say any of the countries that recognize that the government has a responsibility for its families and its individuals to ensure that they have a safe place to live. So whether that's council housing, whether that's social housing, or whether in the U.S. that's public housing, which unfortunately has been painted um, in a bad light due to the lack of investment that the government has chosen to make and then use that as an excuse for tearing it down or for demonizing the families that live there. And, and what is council housing? It's um, some, in Britain, it's similar to public housing. Uh-huh. Is St- it just another name for State out, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. And, but is, that, is Britain a place where you think they're doing it right? 
I think that it is um, one example um, where they haven't um, demonized public housing as we have in the states. I think there are communities within Massachusetts who are who are trying to do the right thing about housing. They are trying to build more, but they face uh, some real barriers to getting anything built. Um, I mean, that goes towards the, the policies that the housing choice legislation gets at. I mean, we can use the example of, of Salem. Uh, I know that Mayor Driscoll has really uh, been pushing for housing choice legislation because there's an example in Salem when they said they put tried to put a plan in place. They tried to create affordable housing in a church, and they were denied the opportunity to do so because they couldn't get a two-thirds majority. That happened in uh, in Lexington, in Acton, in Braintree, all communities that have wanted to build more housing and couldn't because they couldn't overcome that supermajority. So there are communities who do want to do the right thing and build more housing. They just can't right now. And so that's why these kinds of policies are important. In terms of other communities that are, are doing pretty good with housing, um, we can look to where are the cities that people are moving from from Boston? Um, where are they going? They're going to Austin. They're going to Denver. Uh, they're going to lower cost communities where these young workers can say, hey, I can um, have my job and actually afford a, a, a nice place to live without a three-hour commute. So those are communities that are, are building more and just have a lower cost of living. Um, and so that's, you know, in direct comparison with Boston. Other places, other kind of um, neat ideas that are out there right now, uh, looking towards Minneapolis, who has just banned single-family zoning. Um, that's something that is pretty revolutionary in the zoning world and is really exciting um, because that's going to get towards creating more housing and not having the model for housing be just a single-family home. You know what? There are other models out there like uh, duplexes and triple-deckers, things that in New England we were able to build a long time ago, but today it would be really difficult um, to, to build those kinds of neighborhoods that have triple-deckers. And then there are policy ideas happening all over the country. I mean, in Massachusetts, um, we like to consider ourselves uh, the leader in progressive policies, um, but there are other states that are taking up these issues. California has similar legislation around mandating multifamily zoning around public transportation. Oregon just passed rent control, something that I think uh, would be extremely controversial were we to take that up in Massachusetts. And I think it's a it's a policy idea that, quite frankly, that's on the table right now because of our escalating uh, rents in the state. Um, so these are things that are happening around the country that, uh, in Massachusetts, from a housing policy perspective, we're watching really closely because we're trying to learn what we might be able to do here. I think, um, just to pick up, I I don't know that there's any one city that's gotten the right combination, period, right? There's 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 tons of tools in the toolbox, and they're all trying to balance all the interests that come up with, with them. I mean, I'm very proud of what we did recently with short-term rentals and Airbnb, and Boston kind of led the um, – led the I think the, the country in that and yes Airbnb has sued us but I think we've come out ahead in many cases and further than a lot of other cities so there's that policy you know but I look at New York for example with their they have had a transfer fee since 1989 on uh, properties over a million dollars or more they just increased it and they're using that money actually for transportation infrastructure um, I look at um, uh, DC has a topa which is an um, for right of first refusal essentially if you're going to sell your building you have to offer to tenants first these are policies that were also on the table right now here in Massachusetts that I think are worth looking at and supporting a policy that I've helped to write and also that is pending is the Homes Act which is actually getting rid of eviction 
it's 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 sealing eviction records. So there are about a million people in Massachusetts who have the stigma of an eviction. We're doing our best to make sure that they can move on with their lives after three years at least, and that you should not be labeled as something with the stigma or some some sort of bad person or character if at one point in your life you did not have the rent. So, um, and I, I wanted to echo actually Oregon's um, rent control. I actually don't think it's that that controversial because what they did as opposed to saying on an individual basis what you can and can't do, they just simply said you can't go up more than 25%. That's it. So you can go up on your rents, you just can't, they, they kind of put a cap of how much in one time you can go up on a person's rent. And so, uh, you know, I'm talking to some of my developer friends, and I do have some, um, <laughs> they actually said, okay, that's, the, that's uh, they, they don't expect to even, on an aggressive year, they, so, they told me eight to 10% would be something they go up in terms of rents. So 25% is something that they, they would be able to move within. Um, and then also just in general, we're proposing um, zoning reform, also in incorporating uh, the c- components of uh, the Fair Housing Act, furthering fair housing um, in the zoning code of Boston to make sure that we're removing obstacles when we plan, that we're removing obstacles and assuring that protected classes on race, on gender, on sexuality are planned for and assured that they are part of the planning in housing, in zoning, from day one. In many cases, we build the building and then say, oh, what's fair and equitable is we advertise to everyone and then we'll see what happens. This is actually going further, saying you're going to plan to assure that you have an integrated community at the end. Um, And if people ask how that works, well, I would say just the opposite of what planning's been doing for generations, which has been literally planning people of color out of neighborhoods, poor people out of neighborhoods. That's actually been planned. So we're asking planners to own up to that and do better. So there's so many different tools in the toolbox. I don't know that there is an absolute perfect community doing it right. Um, you know, even if they're doing it right, then they're doing it on some poor coastal area. Now they have to deal with resi- resiliency and the fact that they'll be wiped away. You know, there's so many things that if people are trying to deal with right now. Climate change is then the other big, uh, huge and uh, huge looming factor. And many people wonder, honestly, with the way zoning's going, we're finding that there's a green gentrification, as in all the green infrastructures following a richer, wider population moving in, and that they're pr- being protected in ways of people of color who've lived there for years have not and will not see that kind of infrastructure uh, investment. And where's that happening, by the way? You can look at East Boston. Hmm. You can look at East Boston, and you can find out on our coasts and our areas the, the parts that are being flooded um, and where we're preparing and putting in money. Now, the city of Boston has already come up with a plan for that. But again, a lot of the infrastructure and the resiliency of buildings has been on the very expensive uh, luxury housing on East Boston's waterfront. But a lot of the interior core of East Boston uh, does not have those protections. All right, well, I think it's time to wrap it up, but this is such an important issue. As I mentioned at the top, pretty much everyone is dealing with housing, and uh, now we'll see what happens in the Massachusetts House and Massachusetts Senate, and maybe uh, we'll have you all on in a couple years or so to talk about how the how the new law is working out, uh, assuming one is passed. Um, but thank you so much um, for joining me and everyone on this very important conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.